Shakespeare on Air presents Episode 1 of Hal, the story of Harry of Monmouth, Prince of Wales, later King Henry V. For best results, we encourage you to listen to Hal and all Shakespeare on Air radio plays with headphones. Enjoy. What time of day is it, lad? Thou art so fat-witted with drinking of old sack and unbuttoning thee after supper and sleeping upon benches after noon that thou hast forgotten to demand that truly which thou wouldst truly know. What a devil hast thou to do with the time of the day? Unless ours were cups of sack and minutes capons and clocks the tongues of boards and dials the signs of leaping houses and the blessed son himself a fair hot wench in flame-coloured taffeta. I see no reason why thou shouldst be so superfluous to demand the time of the day. Indeed, you come near me now, Hal. For we that take purses go by the moon and the seven stars, and not by Phoebus, he that wandering knights so fair. And I prithee, sweet wag, when thou art king, as God save thy grace, uh, majesty, I should say, for grace thou wilt have none. What, none? No, by my troth, not so much as will serve to prologue to an egg and butter. Well, how then? Come roundly, roundly. Marry then, sweet wag. When thou art king, let not us that are squires of the knight's body be called thieves of the day's beauty. Let us be... Diana's foresters, gentlemen of the shade, minions of the moon. Thou sayest well, and it holds well too. For the fortune of us that are the moon's men doth ebb and flow like the sea, being governed as the sea is by the moon. As for proof, now, mm -hmm, a purse of gold most resolutely snatched on Monday night and most dissolutely spent on Tuesday morning, got with swearing lay-by and spent with crying bring in, now in as low an ebb as the foot of the ladder and by and by in as high a flow as the ridge of the gallop. By the Lord, thou sayest true, lad. But I prithee, sweet wag, shall there be gallows standing in England when thou art king? Do not thou, when thou art king, hang a thief. No, thou shalt. Shall I? Oh, rare. I'll be a brave judge. Thou judges, false already. I mean, thou shalt have the hanging of the thieves and so become a rare hangman. Well, how? Well. And in some sort it jumps with my humor as well as waiting in the court, I can tell you. But, how? I prithee, trouble me no more with vanity. I would to God, thou and I knew where a good commodity of names were to be bought. An old lord of the council raided me the other day in the street about you, sir, but I marked him not. And yet he talked very wisely, but I regarded him not. And yet he talked wisely, and in the street, too. Thou didst well, for wisdom cries out in the streets, and no man regards oh, it. Oh, thou hast damnable iteration, and art indeed able to corrupt a saint. Thou hast done much harm upon me, Hal. God forgive thee for it. Before I knew thee, Hal, I knew nothing. And now am I, if a man should speak truly, little better than one of the wicked. I must give over this life. 
and I will give it over. By the Lord, and I do not, I am a villain. I'll be damned for never a king's son in Christendom. Where shall we take purse tomorrow, Jack? Soon's where thou wilt, lad, I'll make one. I see a good amendment of life in thee. From praying to purse-taking. Why, Hal, tis my vocation. Hal, tis no sin for a man to labor in his vocation. Boys! Now shall we know if Gadzill have set a match. Oh, if men were to be saved by merit, what hole in hell were hot enough for him? This is the most omnipotent villain that ever cried stand to a true man. Good morrow, Ned. Good morrow, sweet Hal. What says Sir John Sack and Sugar? Jack, how agrees the devil in thee about thy soul that thou soldest him on Good Friday last for a cup of Madeira and a cold capon's leg? Sir John stands to his word, the devil shall have his bargain, for he was never yet a breaker of proverbs. He will give the devil his due. <sighs> but, my lads, my lads, tomorrow morning by four o'clock early in Gadshill, there are pilgrims going to Canterbury with rich offerings and traders riding to London with fat purses. I have wizards for you all. You have horses for yourselves. Gadshill lies tonight in Rochester. I have bespoke supper tomorrow night in Eastcheap. We may do it as secure as sleep. If you will go, I will stuff your purses full of crowns. If you will not, tarry at home and be hanged. Hear ye, Edward. If I tarry at home and go not, I'll hang you for going. How wilt thou make one? Who? I? Rob? I a thief? Not I, by my faith. There's neither honesty, manhood, nor good fellowship in thee, nor thou camest not of the blood royal, if thou darest not stand for ten shillings. Well then, once in my days I'll be a madcap. Why, that's well said. Well, come what will, I'll tarry at home. By the Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll be a traitor then, when thou art king. I care not. Sir John, I prithee, leave the prince and me alone. I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he shall go. Well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion, and him the ears of profiting, that what thou speakest may move, and what he hears may be believed, that the true prince may, for recreation's sake, prove a false thief. Farewell, you shall find me in Eastcheap. Farewell, thou latter spring. Farewell, all hallowed summer! Now, my good, sweet, honey lord, ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Bardolf, and Gadshill shall rob those men that we have already waylaid. Yourself and I will not be there. And when they have the booty, if you and I do not rob them, cut this head off from my shoulders. How shall we part with them in setting forth? Why, we will set forth before or after them, and appoint them a place of meeting, wherein it is at our pleasure to fail. And then will they adventure upon the exploit themselves, which they shall have no sooner achieved, but we'll set upon them. Yea, but tis like that they will know us by our horses, by our habits, and by every other appointment to be ourselves. Tut! Our horses they shall not see. I'll tie them in the wood. Our wizards we will change after we leave them. And, Sirrah, I have cases of buckram for the nonce to amask our noted outward garments. Yea, but I doubt they will be too hard for us. Well, for two of them, I know them to be as true-bred cowards as 
ever turned back. And for the third, if he fight longer than he sees reason, I'll forswear arms. The virtue of this jest will be the incomprehensible lies that this same fat rogue will tell us when we meet at supper. How thirty, at least, he fought with. What wards, what blows, what extremities he endured. And in the reproof of this lies the jest. Well, I'll go with thee. Provide us all things necessary, and meet me tomorrow night in Eastcheap. There I'll sup. Farewell. Farewell, my lord. So shaken as we are, so wan with care, find we a time for frighted peace to pant and breathe short-winded accents of new broils to be commenced in strands afar remote. No more the thirsty entrance of this soil shall daub her lips with her own children's blood. No more shall trenching war channel her fields, nor bruise her flowerets with the armed hooves of hostile paces. Those opposed eyes, which like the meteors of a troubled heaven, all of one nature, of one substance, bred, did lately meet in the intestine shock and furious close of civil butchery, shall now, in mutual, well-beseeming ranks, march all one way and be no more opposed against acquaintance, kindred, and allies. The edge of war, like an ill-sheathed knife, no more shall cut his master. Therefore, friends, as far as to the sepulchre of Christ, forthwith a power of English shall we levy, whose arms were molded in their mother's womb to chase these pagans in those holy fields over whose acres walked those blessed feet, which fourteen hundred years ago were nailed for our advantage on the bitter cross. But this, our purpose now, is twelve month old, and bootless tis to tell you we will go. Therefore we meet not now. Then let me hear of you, my gentle cousin Westmoreland, what yesternight our council did decree in forwarding this dear expedience. My liege, this haste was hot in question, and many limits of the charge set down but yesternight, when all the fort there came a post from Wales, loaden with heavy news, whose worst was that the noble Mortimer, leading the men of Hertfordshire to fight against the irregular and wild Glendower, was by the rude hands of that Welshman taken a thousand of his people butchered, upon whose dead corpse there was such misuse, such beastly shameless transformation by those Welsh women done, as may not be without much shame retold or spoken of. It seems then that the tidings of this broil break off our business for the Holy Land. This matched with other did, my gracious lord, for more uneven and unwelcome news came from the north, and thus it did in port. On Holyrood Day, the gallant Hotspur there, young Harry Percy, and brave Archibald, that ever-valiant and approved Scot, at Holmden met, where they did spend a sad and bloody hour, as by discharge of their artillery and shape of likelihood the news was told. For he that brought them, in the very heat and pride of their contention, did take horse, uncertain of the issue any way. Here is a dear, a true industrious friend, Sir Walter Blunt, new lighted from his horse, stained with the variation of each soil betwixt that Holmden and this seat of ours, and he hath brought us smooth and welcome news. The Earl of Douglas is discomfited, 
Ten thousand bold Scots, two and twenty knights, balked in their own blood, did Sir Walter see on Homden's plains. Of prisoners, Hotspur took Mordick, the Earl of Fife, an eldest son to beaten Douglas, and the Earl of Athol, of Murray, Angus, and Mentieth. And is not this an honorable spoil? A gallant prize, huh, cousin? Is it not? If faith, it is a conquest for a prince to boast of. Yea, there thou makes me sad and makes me sin in envy that my lord Northumberland should be the father to so blessed a son. A son who is the theme of honor's tongue, amongst a grove the very straightest plant, who is sweet fortune's minion and her pride, whilst I, by looking on the praise of him, see riot and dishonor stain the brow of my young Harry. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle clothes our children where they lay, and called mine Percy his Plantagenet. Then would I have his Harry and he mine, but let him from my thoughts. What think you, cause of this young Percy's pride? The prisoners, which he in this adventure hath surprised, to his own use he keeps, and sends me word I shall have none but Mordek, Earl of Fife. Uh, this is his uncle's teaching. This is Worcester, malevolent to you in all aspects, which makes him prune himself and bristle up the crest of youth against your dignity. But I have sent for him to answer this, and for this cause a while we must neglect our holy purpose to Jerusalem. Cousin, on Wednesday next our council we will hold at Windsor. So inform the lords. But come yourself with speed to us again, for more is to be said and to be done than out of anger can be uttered. I will, my liege. My blood hath been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities, and you have found me, for accordingly you tread upon my patience. But be sure, I will from henceforth rather be myself, mighty and to be feared, than my condition, which hath been smooth as oil, soft as young down, and therefore lost the title of respect, which the proud soul ne'er pays but to the proud. Our house. My sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it, and that same greatness, too, which our own hands have hoped to make so portly. My lord, Worcester, get thee gone, for I do see danger and disobedience in thine eye. Oh, sir, your presence is too bold and peremptory, and majesty might never yet endure the moody frontier of a servant brow. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you. You were about to speak. Yea, my good lord. Those prisoners in your highness's name demanded, which Harry Percy here at Holmenden took, were, as he says, not with such strength denied as is delivered to your majesty. Either envy, therefore, or misprison is guilty of this fault, and not my son. My liege, I did deny no prisoners. But I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, and his chin new-reaped showed like a stubble land at harvest home. 
He was perfumed like a milliner, and twixt his finger and his thumb he held a pouncet box, which ever and anon he gave his nose and took it away again. And as the soldiers bore dead bodies by, he called them untaught knaves, unmannerly to bring a slovenly, unhandsome course betwixt the wind and his nobility. With many holiday and lady terms he questioned me, amongst the rest demanded my prisoners in your majesty's behalf. I then, all smarting with my wounds being cold, to be so pestered with a popinjay, out of my grief and my impatience, answered neglectingly I know not what. He should or he should not, for he made me mad to see him shine so brisk and smell so sweet and talk so like a waiting gentlewoman of guns and drums and wounds. God save the mark! And telling me the sovereignest thing on earth was parmacetti for an inward bruise. This bald, unjointed chat of his, my lord, I answered indirectly as I said. And I beseech you, let not his report come current for an accusation betwixt my love and your high majesty. The circumstance considered, good my lord, whate'er Lord Harry Percy then had said to such a person and in such a place at such a time with all the rest retold, may reasonably die and never rise to do him wrong or in any way impeach what then he said, so he unsay it now. Why, yet he doth deny his prisoners, but with proviso and exception that we at our own charge shall ransom straight his brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer, who, on my soul, hath willfully betrayed the lives of those that he did lead to fight against that great magician, damned Glendower, whose daughter, as we hear, the Earl of March hath lately married. Shall our coffers, then, be emptied to redeem a traitor home? Shall we buy treason and indent with fears when they have lost and forfeited themselves? No! On the barren mountains let them starve, for I shall never hold that man, my friend, whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost to ransom home revolted Mortimer. Revolted Mortimer? He never did fall off, my sovereign liege, but by the chance of war. To prove that true needs no more but one tongue for all those wounds, those mouthed wounds, which valiantly he took when on the gentle Severn sedgy bank, in single opposition, hand to hand, he did confound the best part of an hour in changing Hardiment with great Glendower. Never did base and rotten policy color her working with such deadly wounds, nor could the noble Mortimer receive so many, and all willingly, then let not him be slandered with revolt. Thou dost belie him, Percy. Thou dost belie him. He never did encounter with Glendower. I tell thee, he durst as well have met the devil alone as Owen Glendower for an enemy. Art thou not ashamed? But, Sirrah, henceforth let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such a kind from me as will displease you. My lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you will hear of it. And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. I will after straight and tell him so, for I will ease my heart, albeit I make a hazard of my head. What, drunk with choler? Stay and pause a while. Here comes your uncle. 
Speak of Mortimer? Zoons, I will speak of him, and let my soul want mercy if I do not join with him. Yea, on his part, I'll empty all these veins and shed my dear blood drop by drop in the dust. But I will lift the downtrod Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king, as this ingrate and cankered Bolingbroke. Brother, the king hath made your nephew mad. Who struck this heat up after I was gone? He will, forsooth, have all my prisoners. And when I urged the ransom once again of my wife's brother, then his cheek looked pale, and on my face he turned an eye of death, trembling even at the name of Mortimer. I cannot blame him. Was not he proclaimed by Richard that dead is the next of blood? He was. I heard the proclamation. And then it was when the unhappy king, whose wrongs in us God pardon, did set forth upon his Irish expedition. From whence he intercepted, did return, to be deposed, and shortly murdered. And for whose death we in the world's wide mouth live scandalized and foully spoken of. But soft, I pray you, did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edmund Mortimer heir to the crown? He did. Myself did hear it. Nay, then I cannot blame this cousin king that wished him on the barren mountains starve. But shall it be that you, that set the crown upon the head of this forgetful man, and for his sake wear the detested blot of murderous subornation, shall it be that you, a world of curses, undergo, being the agents, or base second means, the cords, the ladder, or the hangman, rather? Oh, pardon me that I descend so low to show the line and the predicament wherein you range under this subtle king. Shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or fill up chronicles in time to come, that men of your nobility and power did gauge them both in an unjust behalf, as both of you, God pardon it, have done, to put down Richard, that sweet, lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker, Bolingbrook? And shall it, in more shame, be further spoken that you are fooled, discarded, and shook off by him for whom these shames ye underwent? No. Yet time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honors and restore yourselves into the good thoughts of the world again. Revenge the jeering and disdained contempt of this proud king, who studies day and night to answer all the debt he owes to you, even with the bloody payment of your deaths. Therefore, I say... Peace, cousin, say no more. And now I will unclasp a secret book, and to your quick conceiving discontents I'll read you matter deep and dangerous, as full of peril and adventurous spirit as to all walk a current roaring loud on the unsteadfast footing of a spear. If he fall in, good night, or sink, or swim. Send danger from the east unto the west, so honor cross it from the north to south, and let them grapple. Oh, the blood more stirs to rouse a lion than to start a hare. Imagination of some great exploit drives him beyond the bounds of patience. By heaven, methinks it were an easy leap to pluck bright honor from the pale-faced moon, or dive into the bottom of the deep, where fathom line could never touch the ground, and pluck up drowned honor by the locks, so he that doth redeem her thence might wear, without carival, all her dignities. 
But out upon this half-faced fellowship... He apprehends a world of figures here, but not the form of what he should attend. Good cousin, give me audience for a while. I cry you mercy. Those same noble Scots that are your prisoners... I'll keep them all. By God, he shall not have a Scot of them. No, if a Scot would save his soul, he shall not. I'll keep them by this hand. You start away and lend no ear unto my purposes. Those prisoners you shall keep. Nay, I will. That's flat. He said he would not ransom Mortimer. Forbade my tongue to speak of Mortimer. But I will find him when he lies asleep, and in his ear I'll holla, Mortimer! Nay, I'll have a starling shall be taught to speak no thing but Mortimer, and give it him to keep his anger still in motion. Hear you, cousin, a word. All studies here I solemnly defy, save how to gall and pinch this bawling brook, and that same sword and buckler, Prince of Wales, but that I think his father loves him not, and would be glad he met with some mischance, I'd have him poisoned with a pot of ale. Farewell, kinsman. I'll talk to you when you are better tempered to attend. What a wasp-stung and impatient fool art thou to break into this woman's mood, tying thine ear to no tongue but thine own? Why, look you, I am whipped and scourged with rods, nettled and stung with pismires when I hear of this vile politician, Bolingbroke. In Richard's time, what do you call the place? Ah, plague on it. It is in Gloucestershire. Twas where the madcap duke his uncle kept, his uncle York, Berkeley. where I first bowed my knee unto this king of smiles, this Bolingbroke. Berkeley Scots blood. When you and he came back from Ravensburg. At Berkeley Castle. You say true. Why, what a candy deal of courtesy this fawning greyhound then did proffer me. Look, when his infant fortune came to age, and gentle Harry Percy, and kind cousin, oh, the devil takes such cousiners. God forgive me. Good uncle, tell your tale, I have done. Nay, if you have not, to it again. We will stay your leisure. I have done a faith. Then once more to your Scottish prisoners, deliver them up without their ransom straight, and make the Douglas son your only mean for powers in Scotland, which, for divers reasons which I shall send you written, be assured, will easily be granted. You, my lord, your son in Scotland, being thus employed, shall secretly into the bosom creep of that same noble prelate, well-beloved, the Archbishop of York, is it not? True. Who bears hard his brother's death at Bristol, the Lord Scroop. I speak not this in estimation, as what I think might be, but what I know is ruminated, plotted, and set down, and only stays but to behold the face of that occasion that shall bring it on. I smell it. Upon my life it will do well. Before the games afoot thou still let slip. Why, it cannot choose but be a noble plot? And then the power of Scotland and of York to join with Mortimer, huh? And so they shall. In faith, it is exceedingly well aimed. And tis no little reason bids us speed, to save our heads by raising of a head. For, bear ourselves as even as we can, the king will always think him in our debt, and think we think ourselves unsatisfied, till he hath found a time to pay us home, and see already how he doth begin to make us strangers to his looks of love. He does! He does. We'll be revenged on him. Cousin, farewell. No further go in this than I by letters shall direct your course. When time is ripe, which will be suddenly, 
I'll steal to Glendower and Lord Mortimer, where you and Douglas and our powers at once, as I will fashion it, shall happily meet to bear our fortunes in our own strong arms, which now we hold at much uncertainty. Farewell, good brother. We shall thrive, I trust. Uncle, adieu. Oh, let the hours be short till fields and blows and groans applaud our sport. Come, shelter, shelter. I have removed Falstaff's horse and he frets like a gummed velvet. Stand close. Points! Points and be hanged! Points! Peace, ye fat kidneyed rascal. What a brawling dost thou keep. Where's points, how? He is walked up to the top of the hill. I'll go seek him. I am accursed to rob in that thief's company. The rascal hath removed my horse, and tied him I know not where. If I travel but four foot by the squire further afoot, I shall break my wind. Well, I doubt not but to die a fair death for all this, if I escape hanging for killing that rogue! I have forsworn his company hourly any time this two and twenty years, and yet I am bewitched with the rogue's company. If the rascal hath not given me medicines to make me love him, I'll be hanged. It could not be else. I have drunk medicines. Points! Hell! A plague upon you both! Bartolf! Eight yards of uneven ground is three score and ten miles afoot with me, and the stony-hearted villains know it well enough. A plague upon it when thieves cannot be true to one another. Peace, ye fat guts. Lie down, lay thine ear close to the ground, and list if thou canst hear the tread of travellers. Have you any levers to lift me up again, being down? What a plague me need to colt me thus! Thou liest! Thou art not colted, thou art uncolted. I prithee, good Prince Hal, help me to my horse, good king's son. How do you rogue? Shall I be your ostler? Go hang thyself in thine own heir apparent garters! If I be ten, I'll peach for this, and I have not ballads made on all of you and sung to filthy tunes. Let a cup of sack be my poison, when a jest is so forward and a foot too. I hate it. Stand. So I do, against my will. Oh, tis our setter. I know his voice. Bardolph, what news? Casey, Casey, on with your wizards. There's money of the king's coming down the hill. Tis going to the king's exchequer. You lie, you rogue. Tis going to the king's tavern. There's enough to make us all. Sirs, you four shall front them in the narrow lane. Ned, Poins, and I will walk lower. If they escape from your encounter, then they light on us. How many be there of them? Some eight or ten. Zooms? Will they not rob us? What a coward, Sir John Paunch. Indeed, I am not John of Gaunt, your grandfather, but yet no coward, Hal. Well, we leave that to the proof. Sirrah Jack, thy horse stands behind the hedge. When thou needest him, there thou shalt find him. Farewell, and stand fast. Now cannot I strike him if I should be hanged. Ned, where are our disguises? Here, hard by. Stand close. Now, my masters, happy man be his dole, say I. Every man to his business. Come, neighbor. The boys shall lead our horses down the hill. We'll walk afoot a while and ease our legs. Stand! Jesus bless us! Strike down! 
with them? Cut the villains' throats! Ah, horse and caterpillars, bacon-fed knaves. They hate us youth. Down with them, fleece oh. them. Oh, we are undone, both we and ours forever. Hang ye, gore-bellied knaves, are ye undone now, ye fat chuffs? I would your store were here, on, bacons, on! What ye knaves, young men must live. You are grand jurors, are ye? We'll jeer ye, faith. The thieves have bound the true men. Now could thou and I rob the thieves and go merrily to London? It would be an argument for a week, laughter for a month, and a good jest forever. Stand close, I hear them coming. Come, my masters, let us share, and then to horse before day. And the prince and poins be not two errant cowards. There's no equity stirring. There's no more valor in that poins than in a wild duck. Your money! Billing! Oh! God, with much ease. <laughs> now, merrily to horse. The thieves are all scattered and possessed with fear so strongly that they dare not meet each other. Each takes his fellow for an officer. <laughs> Away, good Ned. Fullstaff sweats to death and lards the lean earth as he walks along. How the rogue roared. <laughs> Well, it's not for laughing. I should pity him. But for my own part, my lord, I could well be contented to be there in respect of the love I bear your house. He could be contented. Why is he not then? In respect of the love he bears our house, he shows in this, he loves his own barn better than he loves our house. Let me see more. The purpose you undertake is dangerous. Why, that's certain. Tis dangerous to take a cold, to sleep, to drink. But I tell you, my lord fool, out of this nettle danger, we pluck this flower safety. The purpose you undertake is dangerous, the friends you have named uncertain, the time itself unsorted, and your whole plot too light for the counterpoise of so great an opposition. Say you so, say you so. I say unto you again, you are a shallow, cowardly hind, and you lie. What a lack brain is this? By the Lord, our plot is a good plot as ever was laid. Our friends, true and constant. A good plot, good friends, and full of expectation. No, an excellent plot. Very good friends. What a frosty-spirited rogue is this? Why, my lord of York commends the plot and the general course of action. Is it not my father, my uncle, and myself? Lord Edmund Mortimer, my lord of York and Owen Glendower? Is there not besides the Douglas? Have I not all their letters to meet me in arms by the ninth of the next month? And are they not some of them set forward already? What a pagan rascal is this, an infidel! Zunes and I were now by this rascal, I could brain him with his lady's fan. Oh, I could divide myself and go to buffets for moving such a dish of skim milk with so honorable an action. <laughs> you shall see now in very sincerity of fear and cold heart, we'll heed to the king and lay open all our proceedings. Hang him! Let him tell the king. We are prepared. I will set forward tonight. How now, Kate? I must leave you within these two hours. Oh, my good lord, why are you thus alone? For what offense have I this fortnight been a banished woman from my Harry's bed? 
Tell me, sweet lord, what is it that takes from thee thy stomach, pleasure, and thy golden sleep? Why dost thou bend thine eyes upon the earth and start so often when thou sitst alone? Why hast thou lost the fresh blood in thy cheeks and given my treasures and my rights of thee to thick-eyed musing and cursed melancholy? In thy faint slumbers I by thee have watched and heard thee murmur tales of iron wars. Speak terms of manage to thy bounding steed, cry courage to the field, and thou hast talked of sallies and retires, of trenches, tents, of prisoners ransom, and of soldiers slain, and all the currents of a heady fight. Thy spirit within thee hath been so at war, and thus hath so bestirred thee in thy sleep, that beads of sweat have stood upon thy brow like bubbles in a late disturbed stream. And in thy face strange motions have appeared, such as we see when men restrain their breath on some great sudden hest. Oh, what portents are these? Some heavy business hath my lord in hand, and I must know it, else he loves me not. But ho! Is Gilliam's with the packet gone? He is, my lord, an hour ago. Hath Butler brought those horses from the sheriff? One horse, my lord, he brought even now. What horse? A roan? A cropier, is it not? It is, my lord. That roan shall be my throne. Well, I will back him straight. Bid Butler lead him forth into the park. But hear you, my lord. What sayest thou, my lady? What is it carries you away? Why, my horse, my love, my horse. Out, you mad-headed ape! A weasel hath not such a deal of spleen as you are tossed with. In faith, I'll know your business, Harry, that I will. I fear my brother Mortimer doth stir about his title and hath sent for you to line his enterprise, but if you go... So far afoot, I shall be weary, love. No, come, come, you parakeeto, answer me directly unto this question that I ask. In faith, I'll break thy little finger, Harry, and if thou wilt not tell me all things true... Away, you trifler! Love, I love thee not. I care not for thee, Kate. This is no world to play with mammoths and to tilt with lips. We must have bloody noses and cracked crowns and pass them current, too. God's me, my horse! What sayest thou, Kate? What wouldst thou have with me? Do you not love me? Do you not, indeed? Well, do not, then, for since you love me not, I will not love myself. Do you not love me? Nay, tell me if you speak in jest or no. Um, wilt thou see me ride? And when I am on horseback, I will swear I love thee infinitely. But hark you, Kate, I must not have you henceforth question me whither I go, nor reason whereabout. Whither I must, I must. And to conclude, this evening must I leave you, gentle Kate. I know you wise, but yet no farther wise than Harry Percy's wife. Constant you are, but yet a woman. And for secrecy? No lady closer, for I well believe thou wilt not utter what thou dost not know, and so far will I trust thee, gentle Kate. How? So far? Not an inch further. But hark you, Kate, whither I go, thither shall you go too. Today will I set forth, tomorrow you. Will this content you, Kate? It must of force. <laughs> Ned, prithee, come out of that fat room and lend me thy hand to laugh a little. Where hast been, Hal? With three or four loggerheads amongst three or four score hogsheads. 
Sarah, I am a sworn brother to a leash of drawers and can call them all by their Christian names as Tom, Dick, and Francis. They take it already upon their salvation that though I be but the Prince of Wales, yet I am a king of courtesy. And tell me flatly, I am no proud Jack, like Falstaff, but a Corinthian, a lad of metal, a good boy by the Lord, so they call me. And when I am King of England, I shall command all the good lads in Eastcheap. My lord, old Sir John with half a dozen more at the door. Shall I let him in? Let them alone a while, and then open the door. Boins! Anon, anon, sir. Sarah, Falstaff, and the rest of the thieves are at the door. Shall we be merry? As merry as crickets, my lad. I am now of all humours that have showed themselves humours since the old days of Goodman Adam to the pupil age of this present twelve o'clock at midnight. I am not yet of Percy's mind, the hotspur of the north. He that kills me some six or seven dozen of Scots at a breakfast washes his hands and says to his wife, Fie upon this quiet life! I want work! Oh, my sweet Harry, says she, how many hast thou killed today? Give mine a roan horse a drench, says he, and answers, Some fourteen an hour after. A trifle, a trifle. I prithee, call in full stuff. I'll play Percy, and that damned brawn shall play Dame Mortimer, his wife. Call in ribs, call in tallow. Rivo, says the drunkard. Welcome, Jack. Where hast thou been? A plague of all cowards, I say, and a vengeance, too. Merry and amen. Give me a cup of sack, boy. Ere I lead this life long, I'll sow nether stocks and mend them and foot them, too. A plague of all cowards! Give me a cup of sack, rogue. Is there no virtue extant? You rogue, there's lime in the sack, too! There is nothing but roguery to be found in villainous man. Yet a coward is worse than a cup of sack with lime in it. A villainous coward. Go thy ways, old Jack. Die when thou wilt. If manhood, good manhood, be not forgot upon the face of the earth, then I am a shotten herring. There live not three good men unhanged in England, and one of them is fat and grows old. God help the while. A bad world, I say. A plague of all cowards, I say still. How now, Woolsack? What matter you? A king's son. If I do not beat thee out of thy kingdom with a dagger of lath and drive all thy subjects afore thee like a flock of wild geese, I'll never wear hair on my face more. You, Prince of Wales. Why, you horse and round man, what's the matter? Are not you a coward? Answer me to that. And points there? Zoons, ye fat paunch, and you call me coward? By the Lord, I'll stab thee. I call thee coward? Oh, I'll see thee damned ere I call thee coward, but I would give a thousand pound I could run as fast as thou canst. You are straight enough in the shoulders. You care not who sees your back. Call you that backing of your friends? A plague upon such backing! Give me them that will face me. Give me a cup of sack. I am a rogue if I have drunk today. Oh, villain, thy lips are scarce wiped since thou drunkest last. Plague. Plague of all cowards, still say I. What's the matter? What's the matter? 
there be three of us here obtain a thousand pound this day morning. Where is it, Jack? Where is it? Where is it? Taken from us, it is. A hundred upon poor three of us. What? A hundred, man? I am a rogue if I were not at half-sword with a dozen of them two hours together. I have escaped by miracle. I am eight times thrust through the doublet, four through the hose, my buckler cut through and through, my sword hacked like handsaw. I never dealt better since I was a man. All would not do. A plague of all cowards! Let, let, let them speak. If they speak more or less than truth, they are villains and the sons of darkness. Speak, sirs. How was it? We set upon some dozen... Sixteen, at least, my lord. And bound them? No, they were not bound. You rogue, they were bound, every man of them. As we were sharing, some six or seven fresh men set upon us. And unbound the rest, and then come in the other. What, fought you with them all? All? I know not what you call all, but if I fought not with... Fifty of them. I am a bunch of radish. If there were not two or three and fifty upon poor old Jack, then I am no two-legged creature. Pray God you have not murdered some of them. Nay, that's past paying for. I have peppered two of them. Two, I am sure, I have paid. Two rogues in buckram suits. I tell thee what, Hal. If I tell thee a lie, spit in my face. Call me horse. Thou knowest my old ward. Here I lay, and thus I bore my point. Four rogues in buckram let drive at me. What for? Thou saidst but two even now. Four, Hal, I told thee four. Aye, aye, he said four. These four came all affront and mainly thrust at me. I made no more ado, but took all their seven points in my target. Thus seven? Why, there were but four even now. In Buckram? Aye, four in Buckram suits. Seven, by these hilts, or I am a villain else. Prithee, let him alone, we shall have more anon. Dost thou hear me, Hal? Uh, aye, and mark thee too, Jack. Do so, for it is worth the listening to. These nine in Buckram that I told thee of, so two more already. their points being broken, down fell their hose, began to give me ground, but I followed me close, came in foot in hand, and with a thought, seven of the eleven I paid. Oh, monstrous, eleven Buckram men grow out of two. But, as the devil would have it, three misbegotten knaves in Kendall Green came at my back and let drive at me, for it was so dark how thou couldst not see thy hand. These... Lies are like their father that begets them, gross as a mountain, open, palpable. Why, thou clay-brained guts, thou knotty-pated fool, thou horse and obscene grease tallow catch! Art thou mad? Art thou mad? Is not the truth the truth? Why, how couldst thou know these men in Kendall Green, when it was so dark, thou couldst not see thy hand? Come, tell us your reason. What sayest thou to this? Come, your reason, Jack, your reason. What, upon compulsion? Zoons, and I were at the strapado, or all the racks in the world, I would not tell you on compulsion. Give you a reason on compulsion. If reasons were as plentiful as blackberries, I would give no man a reason upon compulsion, aye. I'll be no longer guilty of this sin, this sanguine coward, this bed-presser, this horseback-breaker, this huge hill of flesh. Blood, you starveling, you elf-skin, you dried neat's tongue, you bulls-pizzle, you stockfish. Oh, for for breath to utter what is like thee, you tailor's yard, you sheath, you... You po-case, you files, standing tuck! Well, breathe a while, and then to it again. And when thou hast tired thyself in base comparisons, hear me speak but this. Mark now how a plain tale shall put you down. Mark, Jack. 
We too saw you three set on two and bound them and were masters of their wealth. Then did we too set on you three and with a word outfaced you from your prize and have it, yea, and can show it you here in the house. And Falstaff, you carried your guts away as nimbly with as quick dexterity and roared for mercy and still run and roared as ever I heard Bullcalf. What a slave art thou, to hack thy sword as thou hast done, and then say it was in a fight! What trick, what device, what starting hole canst thou now find out to hide thee from this open and apparent shame? Come, let's hear, Jack, what trick hast thou now? By the Lord, I knew ye as well as he that made ye. Why, hear you, masters! Was it for me to kill the heir apparent? Should I turn upon the true prince? <laughs> Why, thou knowest I am as valiant as Hercules, but beware instinct. The lion will not touch the true prince. Instinct is a great matter. I was now a coward on instinct. <laughs> I shall think the better of myself and thee during my life. I for a valiant lion and thou for a true prince. <laughs> but. By the Lord, lads, I am glad you have the money. Hostess, clap to the doors. Watch tonight, pray tomorrow. Gallants, lads, boys, hearts of gold, all the titles of good fellowship come to you. What, shall we be merry? Shall we have a play extempore? Content, and the argument shall be thy running away. Ah, no more of that, Hal, and thou lovest me. Oh, Jesu, my lord the prince. How now, my lady the hostess? What sayest thou to me? Marry, my lord, there is a nobleman of the court at the door would speak with you. He says he comes from your father. Give him as much as will make him a royal man and send him back again to my mother. What manner of man is he? An old man. <laughs> What, does gravity out of his bed at midnight? Shall I give him his answer? Prithee do, Jack. Faith, and I'll send him packing. Now, sirs, by your lady you fought fair. So did you, Bardolph. You are lions, too. You ran away upon instinct. You will not touch the true prince. No, fie. Faith, I ran when I saw others run. Faith, tell me in earnest, how come Falstaff's sword so hacked? Why, he hacked it with his dagger and said it would swear truth out of England, but he would make you believe it was done in fight, and persuaded us to do the like. Yea, and to tickle our noses with speargrass to make them bleed, and then to beslubber our garments with it and swear it was the blood of true men. Oh, villain, thou hadst fire and sword on thy side, and yet thou rannest away. What instinct hadst thou for it? Here comes Lean Jack, here comes Bare Bone. How now, my sweet creature of bombast? How long is it ago, Jack, since thou sawest thine own knee? My own knee. When I was about thy years, Hal, I was not an eagle's talon in the waist. I could have crept into any alderman's thumb ring. A plague of sighing and grief. It blows a man up like a bladder. There's villainous news abroad. Here was Sir John Bracy from your father. You must to court in the morning. That same mad fellow of the north, Percy, and uh, he of Wales that uh, gave a Maimon the bastinado and made Lucifer cuckold and swore the devil as true liegeman upon the cross of a Welsh hooker. What, what, what plague you call him? Oh, Glendower. Owen, Owen, the same. And his son-in-law, Mortimer, and old Northumberland, and that sprightly Scot of Scots, Douglas, that... 
runs a horseback up a hill perpendicular. He that rides at high speed and with his pistol kills a sparrow flying. You have hit it. So did he never the sparrow. Well, that rascal hath good metal in him. He will not run. Why, what a rascal art thou, then, to praise him so for running? A horseback, ye cuckoo, but a foot he will not budge a foot. Yes, Jack, upon instinct. I grant ye, upon instinct. Well, he is there too, and one more dake, and a thousand blue caps more. Worcester is stolen away tonight. Thy father's beard has turned white with the news. You may buy land now as cheap as stinking mackerel. Why then, it is like if there come a hot June and this civil buffeting hold, we shall buy maidenheads as they buy hobnails by the hundreds. By the mass, lad, thou sayest true. It is like we shall have good trading that way. But tell me, how? Art not thou horrible afeard? Thou being heir apparent, could the world pick thee out three such enemies again as that fiend Douglas, that spirit Percy, and that devil Glendower? Art thou not horribly afraid? Doth not thy blood thrill at it? Not a whit, in faith. I lack some of thy instincts. Well, thou wert be horribly chid tomorrow when thou comest to thy father. If thou love me, practice an answer. Do thou stand for my father and examine me upon the particulars of my life? Shall I? Content? This chair shall be my state, this dagger my scepter, and this cushion my crown. Thy state is taken for a joined stool, thy golden scepter for a leaden dagger, and thy precious rich crown for a pitiful bold crown. Well, and the fire of grace be not quite out of thee, now thou shalt be moved. Give me a cup of sack to make my eyes look red, that it may be thought I have uh, wept, for I must speak in passion. Well, here is my leg. And here is my speech. Stand aside, nobility. Oh, Jesu, this is excellent sport of faith. Weep not, sweet queen, for trickling tears are vain. Oh, the father, how he holds his countenance. For God's sake, lords, convey my tristful queen, for tears do stop the floodgates of her eyes. Oh, Jesu, he doth it as like one of those arletry players as ever I see. Peace, good pint pot. Peace, good tickle brain. Harry, I do not only marvel where thou spend'st thy time, but also how thou art accompanied. For though the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows, yet youth, the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. That thou art my son, I have partly thy mother's word, partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick of thine eye, and a foolish hanging of thy nether lip that doth warrant me. If then thou be son to me, here lies the point. Why, being son to me, art thou so pointed at? Shall the blessed son of heaven prove a mitcher and eat blackberries? A question not to be asked. Shall the son of England prove a thief and take purses? A question to be asked. There is a thing, Harry, which thou hast often heard of, and it is known to many in our land by the name of pitch. This pitch, as ancient writers do report, doth defile. So doth the company thou keepest. For, Harry, now I do not speak to thee in drink, but in tears, not in pleasure, but in passion, not in words only, but in woes also. Yet there is a virtuous man whom I have often noted in thy company, but I know not his name. What manner of man? And it like your majesty? Uh, a, a good portly man, i' faith and a corpulent, of a cheerful look, a pleasing eye, and a most noble carriage. And, I, as I think, his age some fifty or 
by your lady inclining to three score. Oh, and now I remember me! His name is Falstaff. If that man should be lewdly given, he deceiveth me. For Harry, I see virtue in his looks. If then the tree may be known by the fruit as the fruit by the tree, then peremptorily I speak it, there is virtue in that Falstaff. Him keep with, the rest banish. And tell me now, thou naughty varlet, tell me, where hast thou been this month? Do thou speak like a king? Do thou stand for me, and I'll play my father. Depose me? If thou dost it half so gravely, so majestically, both in word and matter, hang me up by the heels for a rabbit sucker or a polter's hair. Well, here I am set. And here I stand. Judge, my masters. Now, Harry, whence come you? Uh, my noble lord, uh, from Eastcheap. The complaints I hear of thee are grievous. Lord, my lord, they are false. Nay, I'll tickle ye for your young prince of faith. Swearest thou, ungracious boy? Henceforth, ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old fat man. A ton of man is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humours, that bolting hutch of beastliness, that swollen parcel of dropsies, that huge bombard of sack, that stuffed cloak bag of guts, that roasted manning tree ox with the pudding in his belly, that reverend vice, that grey iniquity, that father ruffian, that vanity in years. Ah, uh, would your grace would take me with you. Uh, whom meets your grace? Wherein is he good but to taste sack and drink it? Wherein neat and cleanly but to carve a capon and eat it? Wherein cunning but in craft? Wherein crafty, but in villainy? Wherein villainous, but in all things? Wherein worthy, but in nothing? That villainous, abominable misleader of youth, Falstaff. That old, white-bearded Satan. My lord, the man I know... I know thou dost. But to say I know more harm in him than in myself were to say more than I know. That he is old, the more the pity. His white hairs do witness it. But that he is, saving your reverence, a whoremaster? That I utterly deny. If sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked. If to be old and merry be a sin, then many an old host that I know is damned. If to be fat to be hated, then Pharaoh's lean kinder to be loved. Now, my good lord, banish Quickly. Oh. Banish Bardolph. Hmm? Banish points. Hmm. But for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant being as he is old Jack Falstaff, banish not him, thy Harry's company. Banish not him, thy Harry's company. Banish plump Jack and banish all the world. I do. I will. Oh, my lord! My lord! The sheriff with the most monstrous watch is at the Ow, door. Ow, rogue! Play out the play. I have much to say in behalf of that Falstaff. Oh, Jesu, my lord! My lord! Hey, hey, the devil rides upon a fiddlestick. What's the, the matter? The sheriff and all the watch are at the door. They are come to search the house. 
So let him in. Dost thou hear, Hal? Never call a true piece of gold a counterfeit. Thou art essentially mad without seeming so. And thou a natural coward without instinct. I deny your major. If you will deny the sheriff, so. If not, let him enter. If I become not a cart as well as another man, a plague on my bringing up. I hope I shall as soon be strangled with a halter as another. Go hide thee behind the arras. The rest walk up above. Now, my masters, for a true face and a good conscience. Both which I have had, but their date is out, and therefore I'll hide me. Call in the sheriff. Now, Master Sheriff, what is your will with me? First, pardon me, my lord. A hue and cry hath followed certain men unto this house. What men? One of them is well known, my gracious lord. A gross fat man, as fat as butter. The man, I do assure you, is not here. For I myself at this time have employed him. And Sheriff, I will engage my word to thee that I will by tomorrow dinner time, send him to answer thee or any man for anything he shall be charged withal. And so let me entreat you, leave the house. I will, my lord. Th there are two gentlemen have in this robbery lost three hundred marks. It may be so. If he have robbed these men, he shall be answerable, and so farewell. Good night, my noble lord. I think it is good morrow, is it not? Indeed, my lord. I think it be two o'clock. This oily rascal is known as well as Paul's. Go call him forth. Falstaff. Fast asleep behind the heiress and snorting like a horse. Hark, how hard he fetches breath. Search his pockets. What hast thou found? Nothing but papers, my lord. Well, let's see what they be. Read them. Item, a capon. Two shillings, two ducats. Item, sauce, four ducats. Item, sack, Two gallons, five shillings, eight ducats. Item anchovies and sack after supper, two shillings, six ducats. Item bread, a halfpenny. Oh, monstrous, but one halfpenny worth of bread to this intolerable deal of sack. What there is else, keep close. We'll read it at more advantage. There let him sleep till day, out to the court in the morning. We must all to the wars, and thy place shall be honorable. I'll procure this fat rogue a charge of foot, and I know his death will be a march of twelve score. The money shall be paid back again with advantage. Be with me betimes in the morning, and so good morrow points. Good morrow, good my lord. I know you all, and will a while uphold the unyoked humor of your idleness. Yet herein will I imitate the sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself, being wanted, he may be more wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work. But when they seldom come, they wished for come, and nothing pleaseth but rare accidents. So when this loose behavior I throw off and pay the debt I never promised, 
by how much better than my word I am, by so much shall I falsify men's hopes, and like bright metal on a sullen ground, my reformation, glittering o'er my fault, shall show more goodly and attract more eyes than that which hath no foil to set it off. I'll so offend to make offence a skill, redeeming time when men think least I will. Hal is a production of Shakespeare on Air, adapted from the writings of William Shakespeare and created by Susan Araslin. Episode 1 features, in order of appearance, the voices of Andrew Hutchison, Ben Mann, Ryan Fike, Thomas Strickland, Joe Rake, Nico Auger, Jefferson Reardon, Eric Pargot, Danielle O'Farrell, Aubrey Savarino, and Patrick Coghill. With music by Julius Eastman, Raymond Scott, Christoph Benderetsky, and Ervo Bert. Want to help us make more and better radio plays? Visit shakespeareonair.com and click donate at the top of the page. Everyone who donates before March 21st, 2016 will get a special shout out on air on our next episode. To find out more about us, visit our website. That address again is shakespeareonair.com. <laughs>